You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. You put the seat up to take a piss because you're a conscientious guy. And you start pissing, and then the seat begins to fall, and it's going to pass through the stream, but there's nothing you can do about it now. It's too late to sit. It's far too late to start practicing your kegels. And reaching out to grab the seat could mean a catastrophic loss of directional control. And at that moment, when the seat is falling, you feel this particular kind of fatalistic, nearly existential despair. It seems like something the Germans would have a word for. And it's how I feel whenever I turn on the news these days or open Twitter, which I'm ashamed to say is pretty much how I get my news these days, which is probably contributing to my feelings of despair since Twitter brings out the worst in everyone. And man, this weekend, every time I glanced at my phone, there was news of another mass shooting, four dead, six wounded in Fresno, California, three dead, three wounded in Santa Clarita, California, Three dead at a Walmart in Duncan, Oklahoma. And I'm ashamed to say I shrugged. That's how we live. The constant threat, the constant reality of gun violence. Nothing we can do about it. And then on my way to work this morning, this. House investigating whether Trump lied to Mueller. And I'm ashamed to say I had a much stronger reaction. My head kind of exploded on the number 10 bus, actually, because of course Trump lied to Robert Mueller. He lies to everyone about everything. It would be a miracle. It would be a sign that the president was unwell, that he might be having a stroke, that he should be rushed again to Walter Reed if he hadn't lied to Robert Mueller. Fuck brain function or a heartbeat. We won't be able to declare Donald Trump legally dead until he stops lying, until his lips stop moving and his thumbs stop twitching. But the toilet seat falling through the stream despair of it all, of course, is that Mueller knew Trump was lying to him and lying under oath about treason, not blowjobs, and could have done something about it and either didn't care enough to do something about it, do something like indict a sitting president, which Mueller had the power to do, Or Mueller hoped someone or something else, perhaps some branch of government co-equal to the executive, would care enough to do something about it. But nope. There was good news this weekend. News that didn't induce that toilet seat falling through the stream brand of despair that I'm suffering from a lot lately. The Democrat won the governor's race in blood-red Louisiana after Trump campaigned there and explicitly made the election in Louisiana a referendum on him and on impeachment. This is after Dems won the governor's race in Kentucky and took full control of Virginia state legislature. Oh, and a new poll out today found that 70% of Americans think Trump's actions in Ukraine were wrong. Trump's attempt to extort the president of Ukraine for personal political benefit. And 51% of Americans currently want him removed from office. And apparently there's some baby Yoda you can watch on TV right now. That's cute. So the news isn't all toilet seat through the stream bad, but... Good news doesn't just happen. We make it happen. And I want to thank everyone who worked hard to make some good news happen for us in Louisiana this weekend and everyone working hard to make some good news happen for us, for the country, for the world at the impeachment hearings in Washington, D.C. Thank you, Adam Schiff. And of course, thank you to everyone out there working hard to make good news happen for all of us next November. 
All right, coming up on today's show, on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and on the magnum edition that you can subscribe to at savagelovecast.com, twice as long and no ads, Emma Gray from HuffPo joins us to talk about gender reveal parties. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Blue Apron. Check out this week's menu and get $60 off at blueapron.com slash savage. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. Get 50% off one item and free shipping when you enter the offer code SAVAGE at checkout. Want to save money, save the planet, and look good while you're doing it? It doesn't get any better than ThreadUp, the largest online consignment and thrift store. Shop over 35,000 brands at up to 90% off estimated retail. Go to ThreadUp.com slash SAVAGE for an extra 30% off your first order. That's T-H-R-E-D-U-P dot com slash savage. Threadup.com slash savage for an extra 30% off today. Hi, Dan. I am a 27-year-old bisexual, pansexual, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out, woman. I live in the Pacific Northwest, and I'm calling because I recently... Um, have tried to start seeing a woman. I've been in a three-year monogamous relationship with a man. He's really wonderful. We have a awesome relationship. However, I haven't been able to, in my past, really explore my sexuality, and that's something that I am feeling really empowered to do right now, and he is super supportive of that. I frequent a coffee shop and I have become interested in one of the baristas there. We get along really well. We have great conversation. Recently, a few weeks ago, I told her that I had a crush on her and she was pretty receptive. Was like, oh, I thought you were just straight and in a relationship. I was like, I am in a relationship, but it's, you know, complicated and asked her, you know, to hang out. She texted me maybe like two weeks ago saying she'd like to take me out on a date. Maybe it was like to go grab a glass of wine. So that feels like a date to me. I have never been with a woman before. I'm feeling very nervous and second guessing myself. And I also am in a relationship. And so I don't know how she's going to react to everything. Um, We haven't really talked in depth about it, but I like wondering when should I try to hang out with her again? Or what do you think I should do? So a few weeks ago, you told this woman, this hot barista, that you had a crush on her. Two weeks ago, she texted you saying she'd like to take you out for a glass of wine. And indeed, that does also, to me, sound like she asked you out on kind of a date. And you're wondering what you should do. You should go get that fucking glass of wine with the hot barista already. Do you know how many people confess crushes? on poor, beleaguered baristas every day who do not welcome that kind of attention, who are aggravated that their kind of personable, friendly, tip-me barista routine was misinterpreted as sexual interest or availability. But in your case, you bet correctly. In your case, you read this barista correctly, and she is indeed interested in you. And the fact that you've never been with a woman before is something that you can tell her over that fucking glass of wine. And the fact that you're in a relationship, she already knows when you confessed the crush that you have for her 
to her, she said, oh, I thought you were in a relationship. And you said, yes, I am. And it's complicated. So obviously, this isn't an impediment for her, the fact that you're in a relationship. She knows. She confirmed that you're in a relationship. You two discussed that three fucking weeks ago. A week later, she asked you out. And two weeks after she asked you out, you're wringing your hands and calling me and asking me what you should do. You should call her. Text her back. Say, yes, let's go grab that glass of wine. And then be your authentic, inexperienced with girl-on-girl sex self. It's relevant. You asked her out. You told her that you had a crush on her. She called and or texted and asked you out on what is inarguably a date. So your sexual experience level with women, your sexual availability, your interest in her, these aren't side issues. These are things you can legitimately bring up and discuss on this date with the hot barista that you could be on right now if you weren't sitting at home on the phone calling me. Don't call me. Don't call any other sex and relationship advice programs. Call the barista. Go get that glass of wine. The only way to get some experience is to risk having one. And here is someone who is clearly signaling to you that they are interested in perhaps potentially having a same-sex experience with you. Go get that glass of wine already and then call us back and let us know how it went. Hi, Dan. I'm a grown-ass woman living somewhere in North America, and I'm having a concern about a friend that I am hoping you can help me with. My friend and her husband are both in their second marriages, and they have a blended family. And she initiated a 24-7 dom-sub relationship with him. A little bit of background is that their kids range in age as young as elementary school, And her current husband served time during his prior marriage on domestic violence charges. Now, supposedly, his aggressive, violent tendencies are being channeled appropriately in this 24-7 dom-sub relationship. However, I recently heard that the kids are increasingly scared of him because he has been violent toward their pets. My friend has also talked about uh, wanting to share with the kids about BDSM and dominant and submissive relationships. And these are uh, also the elementary school kids that she's considering having these conversations with. Uh, The kids do have some information, incomplete information. So they know that language like master and servant is used and... They know that she wears a collar, and uh, it's not clear to me how much other specific information the kids have, Um, but those behaviors are very normalized in their house. So I'm concerned. I'm concerned about my friend and the fact that her husband is increasingly aggressive in ways that are outside of their 24-7 Agreement, and I'm concerned about the kids, and I'm concerned that this violence is going to escalate in some way. And I don't know how to talk to my friend about it. I am kink positive, um, and I don't have any concerns about people being in 24 7 relationships in general, but I do have some concerns when they live with kids and they are dominant and submissive around their kids. 
So I'm not sure what to do. And I'm hoping that you can give me some guidance about how to help these kids and how to help my friend. My general feeling is that kids can know their parents are kinky. It's not going to kill kids to know their parents are kinky any more than it's going to kill kids to know their parents are vanilla and having tons of vanilla sex. But kids don't need to know it and probably don't really want to know it, don't want to know the specifics of their parents' sexual activities. And involving, you know, extended family or immediate family in your kinks, having a 24-7 DS relationship that is very pronounced, where master and servant are the terms of art thrown around, where someone is 24-7 submissive and 24-7 wearing a collar, where the submissiveness is you know, exaggerated in that way it can be in a DS relationship, really is to involve kids without their consent in a relationship, an adult relationship, a power exchange relationship, that they really won't understand and may be concerned or panicked by. So I am not comfortable with what your friend is doing, but I recognize that there's not a lot I can do about it. And I don't think that there's much besides expressing your concern and discomfort that you can do about it. Now you say your friend initiated this 24 seven DS relationship with her new partner. And so this wasn't imposed on her. Perhaps it was her idea. And this guy who served time for domestic violence charges really sparked to it. My concern. And I think where you should press your friend is the fact that her kids are scared because their stepfather or this person that they live with now who is in this parental role is hurting their animals. And that is a terrible sign. Someone who is hurting animals is usually also hurting adults. Someone who terrorizes kids by inflicting pain on their pets it doesn't take that person long typically to pivot to inflicting pain on those children or abusing those children. So that is the biggest and and reddest of red flags. Just, you know, take the sensational parts out of this story, take the slave collar out of the story, take the 24 seven DS relationship out of this story, take the wanting to have conversations, inappropriate conversations. I really think non age appropriate conversations with elementary school age children about DS relationships or BDSM out of this scenario and just that fact that this person has a history of domestic violence, went to prison for domestic violence and is torturing animals in this home, in this blended family, torturing her, your friends, children's pets, harming them, hurting them is a sign that your friend needs to pack up her shit and go. That is a May day's parade full of red flags and your friend needs to get out of this relationship. She needs to act in the best interests of her children and protect them from this man who is clearly signaling that domestic violence and hurting other people non-consensually is not behind him if it ever was. And so what you can do as the friend is encourage your friend to get out of this relationship, to take her kids and her collar and go And if she doesn't, well, there's the CPS option. There's the reporting them option. The odds that all of these kids will wind up in foster care 
in part due to the prejudice that people have about kink relationships and BDSM relationships, really high. And that itself can cause trauma. So you really need to think that one through before you make that call. But if you believe that this man is capable of or already has or imminently will move from harming these animals, torturing these animals, harming these pets to harming these kids, you may have to make that call. Here at the Savage Lovecast, we have an imperative that we take seriously, making sure you and your partners have the best orgasms you possibly can. And for this reason, we are huge fans of sex toys. So why not head over to adamandeve.com? Right now, they're offering 50% off just about any item, which is incredible, plus free shipping on your entire order. Also incredible. So what do you have to do to get your 50% off one item and free shipping? It's not hard. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item. It could be an adventurous new toy or anything you desire. Just enter offer code SAVAGE at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item. Go check out adamandeve.com today. Select one item, get 50% off, including free shipping. Again, when you enter offer code SAVAGE. That's S-A-V-A-G-E, SAVAGE at adamandeve.com. Hi, Dan. I'm a 32-year-old single female. I have nothing against polyamory. I have nothing against open relationships. I think that people who have the strength and skill for it are admirable, but I think that I am an absolutely monogamous person and I'm seeking a long-term monogamous relationship where there is a long-lasting sex And I want to know, based on your show, whether you think that's an unrealistic expectation to have for someone today. I know that people can have long-term, committed, monogamous relationships where there is lasting and really good and exciting sex. But I don't know that based on my show because people don't call me whether they're monogamous or non-monogamous because everything's great and it's working. They call me when... It's not so great and it's not working. So monogamous or not monogamous, I hear from people usually when they're having problems with sex, often with the intensity or frequency or or passion of sex. Now, I think the thing you have to be consciously aware of if you're in a committed long-term monogamous relationship is that boredom is a thing and that boredom can extinguish desire and taking each other for granted can extinguish desire. And I think – Boredom is a greater risk in a committed, long-term, monogamous relationship than it is in a committed, long-term, loving, non-monogamous relationship. I mean, obviously, in the same way that STIs are a bigger risk in an open relationship, boredom is a bigger risk for two people in a closed relationship. We've talked about this a bit on the show, particularly after reading uh, Wednesday Martin's book on True and having uh, Wednesday Martin, Dr. Wednesday Martin, on the show to talk about her terrific book, Untrue. Boredom is a huge problem, particularly for women in committed monogamous relationships. You know, we used to think that it was men who got bored, men who strayed, and women who, you know, monogamy came more easily to, and, you know, women were the protectors of sort of the monogamous ideal, and men were the wastrels and the wanderers and the cads. And we now know that this is almost entirely backwards. That a a woman's desire for her male partner in a committed monogamous relationship drops off more quickly than a man's desire for his female partner in a committed monogamous relationship. And it's just about boredom. And you need to control for that. So you need to, if you're in a committed 
long-term monogamous relationship and that's what you want, but you also want the sex to stay interesting and hot and you want that sexual connection to stay strong, you need to work at it. You need to do things to shake it up. As I like to say, at the beginning of the relationship, you were the adventure that your brand new partner was on and they were the adventure that you were on. Well, now that you're in a long-term relationship, they're not an adventure for you anymore. They're a known known. You know what they're about. They know what you're about. You're not an adventure for them anymore either. And if you want the sex to be as exciting as it was at the beginning, rather than just being able to rely on them being your adventure and you being their adventure, you have to consciously choose to go on adventures together as a pair, as a unit. That doesn't mean you have to fuck other people. That doesn't mean you have to go to sex clubs. It doesn't mean you have to swing. It doesn't mean you have to have unicorns or thirds. It does mean you need to shake up your routine and you need to challenge each other and continue to grow sexually and welcome your partner's sexual growth in the context of that committed monogamous relationship or that committed non-monogamous relationship. And I think if you do that, that's really the key, monogamous or not monogamous, is to encourage, welcome your partner's sexual growth and demand from them that they encourage and welcome your sexual growth as well, that you continue to explore, you continue to play. And also in a long-term committed relationship, monogamous or not monogamous, frequency is going to decline over time. And sometimes I think people attach too much importance to frequency. Maybe it's quality over quantity that we need to emphasize. That when you do have sex, you know, that sex at the beginning of the relationship, you can't not be fucking constantly, it seems, at the beginning of the relationship. Later in the relationship – you're not going to fuck like you did when you met 10 years ago. So maybe later in the relationship, when you do fuck, block out the time so it's really quality fucking. Remember, a lot of the fucking you did early in the relationship was probably not quality because you were still learning how each other's bodies worked, how you fit together, what they liked, what you liked. You were still very slowly revealing your turn-ons or your kinks to them, and they were slowly revealing theirs to you. Well, now that you know everything about each other because you're 10 years into this committed monogamous relationship. You know exactly what to do, exactly what they like, and you're open to new interests, new things they want to do, new things they might like or want to try so that when you do have sex, you can really pull out the stops. Doesn't mean you have to pull out the stops every time. Quickie sex can also be good in the context of a committed long-term monogamous relationship. But there should be times when you block out that whole night where you really just go at it, where it's really about the quality. And I think if you do that, you can have a committed, long-term, strictly monogamous relationship, and it can be super hot. I'm sure there are people out there listening right now who are in those sorts of relationships, who've been with somebody for 10 or 15 or even 20, 30 years, monogamous, successfully monogamous that entire time. And the sex was at the start and is still really good and hot, even if it's perhaps not as frequent as it was at the start, because it never is as frequent as it was at the start. And of course, those people, welcome to give us a call, 206-302-2064. Let us know their tips, what they did to keep it hot over the long term, and we'll share some of those calls with our listeners. Contemplating textile waste can really take the joy out of the holidays, from Black Friday hangovers to winter closet splurges to unwanted gifts and tons of trashed wrapping paper. Our favorite season also happens to be one of the most stressful and wasteful times of the year. But thankfully, ThreadUp is here to make the winter season easier on you and easier on the planet. Whether you're shopping for yourself or a loved one, choosing used instead of new means you're being gentler on your wallet and the planet. 
This holiday season, I challenge you to get some used clothing items for the people you'll be gifting this year. You can do it. ThreadUp, the world's largest online thrift store, is on a mission to help you be kinder to your wallet and kinder to the planet this season and every season. And you can shop today and get an extra 30% off your first order at threadup.com slash savage. There's something for everyone at ThreadUp. You can score coach handbags for 25 bucks, free people dresses for $13, made well jeans for $25, and even J. Crew sweaters for 20 bucks. Discover millions of secondhand finds from trendy brands like Everlane, Vince, and even Theory, all up to 90% off estimated retail. ThreadUp isn't your typical thrift store. It's a major time saver. Instead of spending hours at the racks, you can shop millions of deals on your phone anywhere, anytime. All the items are in high-quality condition. Some even have their original tags still attached. Personalize your search by budget, size, style, favorite brands to find exactly what you're looking for and to find it quickly. There is a sustainable and more affordable way to get through the season. And for Savage Lovecast listeners, you're going to get 30% off your first order at threadup.com slash savage. That's 30% off your first order at threadup.com slash savage. Try ThreadUp today. Terms apply. Hi, Dan. 28-year-old lesbian living in the Northwest. And I just got out of a long-term serious relationship after finding out that they weren't keeping their promises and they were sneaking around. And I'm at the point where, you know, I was willing to round them a 0.75 up to my one coming out of it. I don't feel as if I missed red flags. And in talking with the people around me, they don't feel like I missed red flags either. It can be hard to see those red flags when the person's kind of hiding everything so much. I guess my question is, how do I move on from this? I want to settle down. I want to find that person that I round up to my one. But after being treated like this, I just, how do you forgive everyone for the mistakes of one person, if that makes sense? How do I learn to trust someone? Um, And how do I open myself up to that? Obviously, I'm going to take time to grieve the loss of this relationship and the friendship in it and, you know, be healthy. And I don't think I'll be dating for a while, but uh, you know, as one gets when they're in the throes of a breakup, I'm going through the no one will ever love me phase right now and hoping for some stage advice from you. I'm afraid I don't have a good or satisfying answer for this question. It's a question that comes up a lot. I was in a relationship. I got cheated on. My ex was sneaking around. They violated my trust. I feel really betrayed. How can I ever trust again. You know, I loved this person. I thought they loved me. There were no red flags. I didn't see any red flags. And so I was obviously wrong. How do I trust my judgment? How do I trust my own judgment before I invest my trust in a new partner? And the unsatisfying answer is it's a leap of faith. You can't really know if you can trust someone until they prove to you over time, over decades of time, that you were right to trust them and that you you could trust them. And so the proof that this new person who's come along is someone that you can trust is only going to come after you've decided to take that leap of faith and trust them anyway. Trust them even though the last time you trusted somebody, you got your heart stomped on. 
I wanted to pick up on something you said toward the end of your call that, that, that right now you're not going to be dating for a while and you fear that no one will ever love you. People sometimes cheat on people that they love. I don't know the circumstances of your breakup. If this was uh, serial infidelities, if this person was playing you for a fool, if this person was sleeping with your friends behind your back and, and mocking you, those are the sorts of sexual betrayals. That's the kind of cheating that can't be forgiven and really a relationship can't survive. But you may wind up again with someone that you feel like you can trust, that you invest your trust in, that you believe to be worthy of your trust. And you may be with that person for a while. You may be with that person for years and they may, even though they love you, violate your trust and then have to earn your trust again. And the world is full of couples who prove that that is possible, where there has been an infidelity, there has been an affair, and the couple is still together and they're in a good place. We heard recently, we got a call recently from a woman who was married for a very long time and her husband cheated. And in the wake of the affair and all of the truth telling and just late dark night of the soul screaming and yelling that, that occurred in the wake of the affair, it actually improved their relationship, brought them closer together. They were more honest and connected now after the affair than they were before the affair. And the sex was even better after the affair. So it is possible. And we've had examples on the show of people whose trust has been violated and the relationship not only survived, but thrived in the wake of that violation. And the person, you know, who violated their partner's trust had to make amends, had to apologize, had to earn their partner's trust anew. So I just want to warn you against going into your future relationships with that belief that if somebody ever cheats on you or even thinks about cheating on you, that that means that you weren't loved by that person. It is possible to love someone and betray them in this way. It is possible to love someone and cheat on them. It is not always possible for a relationship to survive that kind of betrayal, to survive an infidelity, to survive cheating. But it is possible. It is even common for relationships to survive, but they're likelier to survive an infidelity, a one-off, not serial infidelity, not cheating piece of shit kind of infidelity, but the relationship is likelier to survive that mistake if the people in that relationship don't believe that one mistake, that an affair, that an infidelity is proof that your partner didn't or couldn't or never did love you. When was the last time you made a dinner you were really proud of? Something like, oh, I don't know, cheesy Brussels sprouts with rosemary breadcrumbs or zucchini olive and mozzarella panini with smoky roasted potatoes? Now you're listening. <laughs> Sounds good, doesn't it? Making meals with Blue Apron allows you to truly open up your cooking game and lets you indulge the sin of pride. Blue Apron offers flexible meal options with an ever-changing mix of meat, fish, plant-forward, and vegetarian recipes. Choose from a variety of chef-designed recipes and get perfectly portioned ingredients delivered right to your door. Blue Apron helps me disconnect from my phone. It's helped me discover someone I actually didn't know was inside me, my inner chef. And it's helped me learn new recipes and techniques. I now can honestly say that I apply 
when I'm not cooking with Blue Apron and that I actually do love cooking, which I never thought I would love. And Blue Apron has, of course, exposed me and my whole family to delicious recipes I wouldn't have thought to try. And, you know, often because of my hectic schedule, I felt like I had no other choice than to go eat out more often than I should. But with Blue Apron, I actually have time to cook a delicious, wholesome meal instead of relying so much on takeout. Blue Apron chef design recipes include amazing specialty sauces and premium ingredient blends that would otherwise be difficult, expensive, or time-consuming to source or make. Blue Apron believes cooking matters. Don't have it delivered, pre-cooked, or picked up. Cook it once a week, once a month, or at least once more than you do now. Check out this week's menu and get $60 off when you visit blueapron.com slash savage. That's blueapron.com slash savage. Blue Apron. Just cook. Hey, Dan, Nancy, and the tech savvy at risk youth. 26 year old bisexual guy from Western Canada here. And I have somewhat of a basic question I was hoping you could help me with. I'm in university, and there's a girl in one of my classes I have a major crush on, like thinking about her all the time, sort of infatuation. I don't consider myself overly adept at reading flirtatious signals, but I feel like she definitely flirts a lot with me. She's also just a really friendly person and has a ton of friends, so I keep second guessing myself and thinking that's just her personality type. I already know that the way to proceed here is to ask her out, invite the no, don't be creepy, see what happens. Unfortunately, I feel like my theoretical knowledge of how to handle these situations far outweighs my skill in actually handling them. I'm 26 and I've never been in a relationship, serious or otherwise. There were a couple flings I had in high school, but otherwise I have zero experience. I also don't have any friends. Well, one, I guess. My best friend from grade school and I still talk relatively often, make plans to see each other when possible, but we live thousands of kilometers apart. I'm alone in my town. I feel like I'm starting to get to the age where having no friends and no relationship experience is kind of a red flag, which is giving me anxiety about making friends or asking people out, and I'm in a bit of a spiral. This girl I have a crush on is one of the few people I've started chatting with at the beginning of some of my classes in an attempt to make friends. The issue I'm running into now is that I'm terrified of asking her out, or even of asking if the people I've been talking to want to hang out in a friendly sort of way sometime, because I'm scared they'll lose even these small interactions I have to start over again from scratch. So how do I ask this girl out, Dan? How do I get over my fear of losing what little I already have in the hopes of gaining something greater? And when or how should I ask her out? I remember a question from an earlier show about a guy wanting to ask some of the women in his yoga class out and you advised against doing it at the yoga class. Is university class the same off-limits type of place? I feel like I just get caught up in this cycle not wanting to be a creepy asshole, which stops me from ever attempting conversation in the first place. My therapist has told me that if I'm the type of person who worries about coming across as creepy, I'm probably not coming across as creepy. I just can't get out of my head about it. My gut tells me one thing, then I second guess my gut, and then I second guess my second guess, and I just stall and stall and never make any progress. Any advice for me, Dan? There are a lot of lonely people out there. There's been research. They're calling it the loneliness epidemic. Fully half of all Americans feel like they are alone all of the time or much of the time and don't have close interpersonal relationships, don't have close friends or intimates that they can count on. And, you know, the only corrective for this, you know, if people are alone, they need to reach out. And I think a big contributing factor to the loneliness epidemic is the fear of rejection epidemic. You are a good example. There is something that you would like to have in your life, more friends, perhaps a girlfriend, but you're so paralyzed by the idea that you would risk the connection that you have with this girl. You know, you have a pleasant interactions with this girl. You have a rapport with this girl from your class. 
asking her out on a date could imperil that. You know, if you've misread her signals, if you were feeling sort of open and, and a little flirtatious during these conversations and you misread her, if you engage in a little dickful thinking and misread her signals, well, then that'll get awkward. That relationship will get awkward. It may end the relationship. It may end the connection. But if you don't risk ending that connection or you don't risk a period of awkwardness that the relationship that you do have with this girl could potentially survive, there's no relationship. There's no upgrading the relationship. There's no chance that you could wind up dating this girl, wind up in a romantic relationship with this girl if you aren't willing, as you said, to risk anything, to risk what you do have, you will never get anywhere else. You will never gain what you could have. So you're just going to have to over up and take the risk and take my advice, invite the rejection and, and acknowledge the awkwardness. So, you know, if the answer is no, this is going to, you know, it's going to be awkward the next time we see each other. I'm not an asshole. So we can just like power through the awkwardness. And I hope that we can just return to the friendship that we already had. If the answer is no, but I was hoping maybe you want to go on a date with me sometime. You can say all of this to her. And if you invite someone not only to reject you, if you invite the no, as I always encourage people to do, but you acknowledge that if there is a no, it's going to be awkward for a bit, that this is going to queer your relationship, for lack of a better expression. It's going to queer your relationship for a little bit. But if you both are grownups about it and you demonstrate that you can handle rejection, the rejection, the no that you invited, you can get through that stage and you can return to the friendly rapport that you had established before. And then there's going to be a person out there on your college campus who knows that you're a good and decent guy who can take no for an answer, the kind of guy that she might vouch for to other women who might be interested in you, who might express that interest to her. She will know that you're a good and decent guy because you didn't flip the fuck out when she said no to you. If she says no to you, she might say yes, which is why you should ask her out. Now, when I advise the guy not to hit on the women or not to ask someone out from his yoga class at the yoga class, that was because at a yoga class, people are half-dressed, they're covered in sweat, they're doing exercises together, maybe they're in a sort of like changing area or coming out of or going into a changing area, and someone may feel cornered or vulnerable in that moment, and it demonstrates a kind of inconsideration that could be disqualifying. And so I advise the guy who is interested in that woman from his yoga class to find another opportunity to see if they run into somebody, if he runs into one of these women from his yoga class somewhere else to say, hey, we're in that yoga class together and have a conversation, initiate a conversation at another time in another place when that person is free to go and also not nearly in their underpants. You're in a class with this woman. I wouldn't ask her out right before class if the answer is no and it feels incredibly awkward and you have to be in a room together for the next hour or two. That could suck. That could make an awkward situation worse. But you've left class, you're walking down the hall, you're walking across campus together, or if you regularly see her or run into her in other places on campus when you aren't in class together, to take that opportunity and say, hey, I would love to hang out sometime. I would love to go on a date. Then invite the no. If the answer is no, just tell me no because I can hear no and I'm not a baby and I can take rejection and I promise it'll be awkward for a, a little bit the next time we see each other. But but I'll be a grown-up and, and continue to be friendly and we can power through the awkwardness and get past it if the answer is no. But again, the answer could be yes. 
You should also invite all of these people from your class that you've had these pleasant interactions with out to pizza to hang out sometime, to have a study session sometime. Take the risk. You know, there's so many lonely people out there in the world right now. The, the loneliness epidemic among millennials is particularly acute. Whatever the generation is that's coming up after the millennials, Generation Z, really acute. And the solution to that loneliness epidemic is people making connections, people reaching out. But somebody who feels lonely needs to go first and ask other people who also might be feeling lonely and isolated themselves if they want to date if they want to hang out, if they want to get together, if they want to have a study session. But you could be the guy. You could be the guy who not only solves your little chunk of the loneliness epidemic, but the little chunk being experienced by other lonely people who might be in that class, who might be in your social circle that you might have already established contact with. Just do it, like the shoe people say. Hi, Dan. I am a 30-year-old woman living on the East Coast, so um, I was in a super toxic relationship for about 12 years with a man. He's the father of my child, so we tried to make it work a lot longer than we should have. We've been completely separated for almost a year. It was my choice. He's always wanted to make it work, and I finally made the decision that we weren't well together. He is actually emotionally unstable. I suspect he has borderline personality disorder, but he has been officially diagnosed bipolar so if we're on good terms for a couple of weeks, he'll sometimes start to assume in his warped brain that I'm warming up to him again, and then he'll get upset when I clarify that I'm just being friendly. I'm calling because recently, somehow it came up that he really wants to have sex with me, even just the one time. Our sex life was always really exceptional, and I've actually never found anything to match it, so I would really enjoy the experience. I told him that if it happens, it would mean absolutely nothing to me. It may only be one time. He would have to wear a condom and pull out and that our relationship out of the bedroom would stay completely the same. Nothing would change. I told him that I would never take him back. He said that he understood that. What I'm worried about is sending him into another depression spiral. He's a good place in his life, and I don't want him to have a setback if he has these expectations in the back of his head, even though I've made it so clear not to. I've addressed this to him, and he claims he'll be fine, and if anything, it would be worth it for him. Am I a bad person if I risk his mental health just for my orgasm, or is he a big boy that can make his own choices? If your ex misinterprets friendliness, being on good terms for a couple of weeks as you co-parent your child for an interest in getting back together, how do you think he's going to interpret you fucking him? It's only been a year since you got out of this relationship. You can tell him that nothing will change. You can tell him you're never going to take him back. But, you know, you described his brain as warped. I didn't. He has a, a mental illness that can really exacerbate dickful thinking. If it's borderline personality disorder, if it's bipolar disorder – that can really exacerbate. Those are mental conditions. Those are mental health challenges that can really exacerbate dickful or twatful thinking. You can tell him that you fucking him means nothing. The odds that he will attach meaning to you fucking him are a thousand percent. Right now, just a year out of this relationship, he attaches meaning just to a cooperative, friendly relationship you know, getting along for the sake of your child. He interprets that as an interest in getting back together. If you start fucking him again, 
he will definitely read that as interest in getting back together. And maybe if you just keep fucking, maybe you'll come around and want to be with him again. Don't fuck him. There are other men out there on the planet. There are billions of other men out there on the planet. You had great sex with this guy. That doesn't mean you can only have great sex with this particular guy. There are other guys out there that you can have great sex with, exceptional sex with, but you're going to have to go find them. And the odds of finding them in 12 months, the odds of finding them when you're, you know, a busy halftime parent or perhaps full-time parent, I don't know if you have full custody or not, you know, are a little bit longer, but it'll be worth the effort. The chaos and drama that fucking this guy will bring into your life if he self-servingly or because of his mental illness interprets that as interest and he should just keep pressing and pushing won't be worth the sex. I guarantee you it will not be worth it. Do not do it. Go fuck somebody else. Go fuck a series of somebody else's until you find a guy that you click with in the same sort of way that you clicked with your ex who needs to stay your ex, who needs to remain your ex. So keep him out of your pants. Keep him out of your bed. Don't let him live in false hope. Don't encourage his false hopes. And definitely fucking him will encourage him in his false hopes. Don't do it. All right, before we get to your response calls, let's read some of your tweets. Sean Patrick Doyle tweets, does the music intro to Fake Dan Savage's Savage Lovecast not sound like a cut song from Avenue Q? I think that at the start of every Lovecast. Actually, our opening song was written by Tim LaFollette of the Popovers. We sadly lost him to ALS more than a decade ago, and thank you for your tweet. It gave us a moment to remember Tim and credit Tim for the terrific opening number he wrote for us. Slander Panic tweets, quote, you don't have to carry on your shoulders the weight of all male terribleness. Thank you at Fake Dan Savage. Those of us who work to be not terrible need to hear that now and then. You're welcome. And finally, Kate Strafford tweets, I officially have a subscription to the Savage Lovecast now. Why in the hell did I wait so long? Mr. Dan Savage dropped some fire knowledge on the Magnum Savage Lovecast. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Magnum, Kate, and thank you to all of our Magnum subscribers out there. All right, if you want me to read your tweet on a future Savage Lovecast, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast when you're tweeting about the show. And now your response calls. Hi, Dan. Uh, for the uh, caller in the last podcast uh, who uh, recently befriended a quote-unquote obvious uh, trans man and whose wife was really giving the hard sell on whether or not he is trans, one thing that the caller should also keep in mind is there are a lot of uh, chunks of the LGBT community that are really, really harsh on uh, trans men and straight relationships, you know, and you know, trans folks in general, you know, in opposite sex relationships. And like a lot, a lot of policing on how trans are you, how gay are you, et cetera. And those people are, you know, basically driving a lot of trans folks, so you know, a lot of queer folks, a lot of NB folks, you know, sort of back into the closet for fear of having their exact expression of their sexuality policed. And it's possible that your friend is, you know, you know, a little reluctant to be open and out around, you know, around people that they don't know well. As a result, perhaps you know your your friend has been through some shit and is trying to avoid that in the future, and you just need to back off. Hi, this message is for the vegan caller in episode 681 who wanted your input on veganism and erections. 
Uh, let me first start by saying I am not one of those red-blooded American men who make a performance out of eating chicken wings and deep-fried steak. I am a 32-year-old red-blooded woman who has learned through 10 years of health experimentation and medical studies that the absolute healthiest thing to eat is, in fact, meat and animal fats. The documentaries that this gentleman referenced have been completely debunked and discredited as blatant propaganda. Humans evolved for a million years eating primarily animals and animal fats. If you go to reason today that the best way we could thrive is on these extremely nutrient-dense and complete foods without the processed crap, we usually include, of course. Vegans and vegetarians are not saving the planet by any means. To the contrary, monocropping is a huge problem that's being ignored. Regenerative agriculture and utilizing animals with the land is the only way to restore our land if we want to actually reverse climate change. Also, in reference to the call, animal products for testosterone and hormone balancing are the most promising way to get your erections back. Skip the crap grains and sugar regardless of whether you're vegan or not. There are absolutely, obviously, two very opposing sides to the climate and health debate. And I definitely urge you and your listeners to research the opposing side of things so we can work together to save the planet and our health. Not every meat eater is environmentally irresponsible. Sometimes it's the opposite. Hey, what's up, Dan? I was just listening to episode 681, and the woman whose husband is uh, getting involved with threesome. Yeah, vasectomies are awesome. Great advice. And if you know you definitely don't want kids, it's fucking money in the bank. I have had a vasectomy for about seven years now, and me and my wife have awesome, amazing sex, and vasectomies roll. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number. If you want to give us a call, leave a question or a comment. Or you can use the Voice Memo app on your phone. Higher quality, better listening. And email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. And you can give the gift of the Magnum Savage Lovecast twice as much Lovecast, no ads, more guests, by going to savagelovecast.com and clicking on gift and the opening weekends of the 15th annual hump film festival wrap up this week in seattle portland san francisco and olympia before the 15th annual hump goes out on tour all over the country next year if you're in seattle portland san francisco or olympia and you can get to a theater you get to vote and help give out the big cash prizes in the hump film fest awards go to humpfilmfest.com to get your tickets and of course go to humpfilmfest.com next year to find out when the 15th annual hump film fest is coming to a city near you follow me on twitter at fake dan savage follow emma gray on twitter at emma lady rose the savage love cast is produced every week by nancy hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and nancy i'll be back at you next week for an installment of the savage love cast thank you for downloading